0: Welcome, everybody, to Brute Facts. I got a fun one today. Uh, we've got Dustin Crummit, and he is coming from Munich, Germany. Um, Dustin's got a PhD from Notre Dame. Uh, he has uh, written and submitted many articles, chapters to books. Um, I believe ethics is his specialty. Although as smart as he is, I think he's uh, pretty much got all of it covered. So I'm gonna bring him on. Uh, and how are you doing?
1: All right, all right, all um, right. Yeah, we, we were saying it's it's a bit late here, uh, but uh, yeah.
0: yeah, I was gonna say it's a little dark in there. It's uh, yeah, well, out the it's window dark. anyway. <laughs> yeah. What are you seven hours ahead of Central Time? I believe. It uh, is? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's, uh, it's 11. 11 yeah. Right? Yeah. We'll try not to keep you all night. It's <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you became a Christian, how you um, got into philosophy of religion and ethics and uh, kind of where you are, who you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm here in Munich, uh, doing a a two-year postdoc, um, at the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. Um, I was, uh, raised in a, a, pretty conservative evangelical church. Um, and, uh, I guess, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what I believed when I was young. Um, as I got older, um, you know, I sort of started questioning the, the many of the reasons that people around me had seemed like, uh, ones that weren't persuasive to me, you know, they didn't believe in evolution or whatever. Um, and, uh, so I started wondering, you know, is any of this right? Um, is, uh, is, is Christianity true? Does God exist? Um, I, uh, didn't want to sort of give up on things too easily, um, at the same time, you know, I couldn't, uh, even if I had wanted to, I, I don't think I could have just decided to believe something, you know, because I wanted to or whatever. Um, so uh, <clears throat> I started, you know, trying to think very seriously about these things. Um, long story short, I mean, I started reading, you know, when I was in high school, um, C.S. Lewis and Richard Dawkins uh, and some of those, those sorts of folks. Um and then when I went to college, became um, exposed to you know academic philosophy, um, and uh, that that was I, I guess I had sort of already in high school become a little bit familiar with academic philosophy just by reading Wikipedia articles and uh, you know seeing the name Alvin Plantinga or whatever. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that that was uh, <clears throat> that was sort of my uh, my initial introduction to. Uh, uh, philosophy of religion. I, you can maybe just barely see my cat. <laughs> my, my cat. Um, he or
0: she. Uh, he, uh,
1: there's also, there's also a, she, um, she's a little further out of frame.
0: Um, oh, well, of course, you yeah. know, we leave, leave it to the, to Mel to want to be all up in it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> if yeah. I, I would have a cat if it wasn't for the fact that, um, I'm afraid my children would hurt my cat. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> but, uh, no, that's cool. I, similar kind of story other than, yeah. um, you know, my background, I really didn't have the opportunity for the academic route, uh, but I was, you know, same thing. You know, the conservative Christian, the false dichotomies between science and, you know, certain interpretations of scripture and being a science guy. I, mean, I love science. So, you know, I was in constant struggle <laughs> with that. Yeah. Um, so and of course, I, you know, actually, philosophy of religion didn't come for me until long time after I was. Uh, I just kind of, you know, stumbled into everything, you know, the apologetics and didn't even know what apologetics was. And next thing I knew, uh, somebody was accusing me of being a presuppositional apologetic. and You know, so I was kind of just flailing around and uh, uh, till I found, you know, found a lot of you guys on uh, Facebook and the groups that were in there. Yeah. And yeah, I've done a lot of reading on your work and uh, I was actually stunned to find that there was an intellectual side. To Christianity, because we were in such an anti-intellectual environment that um, you know everything was faith. You know this this feediest kind of faith. It just yeah. just take it. You know. So uh, I have the new segment, which it's not it's not new. We've been doing kind of the beer, but this time I actually have a clip for it. So oh. let's let's cue that <laughs> up. Yeah, that was neat, wasn't it? So what are you drinking on tonight, Dustin? Uh, I am having
1: uh, what's called an Augustiner. Um, Ooh. So, uh, Munich, of course, is famous for its beers. Uh, it's the home of Oktoberfest. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: Augustiner is the oldest uh, brewery in Munich. Um, wow. And uh, it, it dates back to uh,
0: 1328. Uh, oh, that is, wow, that's a that's yeah. real beer. It
1: was, uh, it was originally uh, 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 a monastery brewery. Um, oh, wow. Of sort of happy monk. Uh, on the, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, just leave it, leave it to the theist to come up with, you know, all of <laughs> the, the party stuff. You know, we got the Southern Baptist preachers with the bourbon here. So <laughs> I am actually drinking because we're snowed in. I'm in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. We don't normally get snow. We've got about eight inches of snow outside. And it's been that way for over two days. So, I wasn't able to get to my beer store and it's like zero degrees. So, my beer of the night is actually a coffee with Bailey's because it's nope. very cold. So, nothing special, nothing new. I hope to have had something better, but, you know, four wheel drive only helps you going uphills, it doesn't help you going downhill. So, uh, we didn't want to get out and trek on that. But, uh, so we'll save the beer for another day. Um, so, <clears throat> We we're kind of tossing around topics to talk about. Um, I really love, you know, the the bioethics. Um, and But you've also written on divine hiddenness. And I don't think that um, that is one that really gets covered enough, in my opinion. Because, you know, I think one of the... I have, you know, pretty large contingency of atheists that I'm friends with. And, you know, I, one of the biggest hang-ups is... You know, well, why is it so easy for you and not me? Why do you see it and I don't see it? Why is he not (laughs) obvious? Why doesn't he come down and say, hey, here I am, you know, kind of thing. And I've done a little bit of reading on it, you know. Uh, I've done, um, you know, I've read a little bit of planning this work. um, And uh, Schellenberg, I think, is the one that you were replying to in one of your papers. Um, The, is it Mosier? Wrote on it, I think so. Um, And I'm interested in the responsibility argument because the way that I normally come at it is you know, I try to be one of those people who, uh, you know, don't try to act like I'm smart in an area that I'm not. And I haven't Mm -hmm. done a lot of research in it. So I kind of just give my idea of it. And Typically, what I respond with is something of the kind, you know, um, with God, if if we're looking at God as, you know, the ultimate foundation of good, the, uh, you know, the ontological grounding of good or things of that nature, if he is as powerful as he is and he is, you know, that much uh, I mean, he is pure goodness, then exposure to God, uh, too much exposure to God would even though we would have free will, technically, we wouldn't really be able to exercise it, you know. So being too close to God or God being too obvious, um, in my opinion, it would seem that, you know, being, you know, as powerfully as he is that, uh, you know, we it would kind of like if we're in heaven, you know, the idea of heaven that we're going to be so close to um The source of ultimate goodness, you know, we even if we could sin, we wouldn't sin, you know, because we wouldn't desire those things. But you guys come at it from um, a responsibility uh, angle, which I find pretty interesting. And honestly, I mean, I haven't done a whole lot of reading in that area. I read your paper, um, like I said, a little bit here and there. So if you could just kind of give us a brief summary of the idea behind that.
1: Right, right. Yeah, so I guess it might be good to explicitly lay out sort of what divine hiddenness is supposed to be, and then we can, we can talk about that, I guess. Um, yeah, so um, uh, divine hiddenness in general is something like this idea that, uh, uh, look, if, if God existed, then things would be more obvious to us in some way, right? Um, usually what people focus on in the, the philosophy of religion literature is what's called non-resistant non-belief. Um, this idea that, look, it seems like there are lots of people who are atheists, but, um, you know, as far as you can tell, they seem to be honestly investigating the questions. Some of them, it seems like, you know, maybe they, they used to be religious and they lost their faith and they it seems like they tried really hard to hold on. You know, they, they read apologetics and for whatever reason, they just weren't convinced. And, Um, so, you know, you have these people who are atheists and it doesn't seem like it's because they're, uh, you know, willfully refusing to believe or whatever, or, you know, anything like that. It seems like, you know, they're doing their best. Um, and so people say, well, if God existed, God wouldn't let that happen, right? God would somehow make it clear to these people, maybe with, uh, you know, a a really powerful religious experience, maybe, by, uh, you know, writing the Nicene Creed out in the stars, uh, whatever it took. You know, Some somehow, um, I think John Leslie suggests that every grain of sand in the world might, could have uh, made by God written on it in really tiny letters, put it in a microscope. Oh, okay. Um, you know, so uh, a lot of ways God could do this. Um There, there are some other forms of the problem too, maybe that I talk a little bit about in the paper or sort of gesture towards that don't get discussed as much. Um, you might also think, well, there's lots of religious disagreement. Um, you know, people, there are all these different religions. They agree on a lot of stuff. They disagree on a lot of stuff. A lot of what determines which religion you're in seems to be just, you know, where you're born, what your community is. Um, you know, it doesn't, seem a priori like people in christian nations are likely to be you know more virtuous or something than people in non-christian nations so uh, why is it that uh, religious belief is sort of demographically distributed in the way that it is Um, within christianity there are lots of disagreements people who um you know, disagree with each other about theological doctrines. Also people who think that, you know, they're supposed to do bad stuff. People have committed all sorts of atrocities, um, uh, these sorts of things. Um, again, maybe some of those people were just, uh, you know, they were using it as, as, as an excuse or something, but it might be that some of them genuinely believed they were doing the right thing. Um, and then there's what we maybe could call like experiential hiddenness. Um, there are people who, they do believe in God, but um, they, they don't have a sense of God's presence, even though they would like one. Sometimes even during very difficult circumstances, you know, they feel uh, abandoned. I guess Mother Teresa felt like this during large periods of her life. Um, so there, there are a lot of ways in which it seems like God could kind of make that he exists more obvious to us, make what he expects, to us, uh, more, what he expects of us more obvious to us, uh, make... You know, his love for us, his presence with us, more obvious to us, easier to feel. Um, and yet God doesn't do this. And so uh, people like Schellenberg say, well, look, this just shows that God doesn't exist. Right. And that's why these things are more obvious. That's why God doesn't clear stuff up, because God just doesn't exist. Um, and uh, what the theist needs to do is show why this is, is not a, a, a good argument, right, or not a conclusive argument against theism, Um so uh, <clears throat> there are kind of a wide, a wide variety of uh, approaches people have taken. Um, there are, are two different approaches that kind of both appeal to freedom, responsibility, that sort of notion, but in different ways. So one was the idea that you were mentioning. Um, well, if God made things too obvious to us, then... Uh, it would almost be like God, like, uh, like, uh, you know, mom was always in the room watching you, you know, and you're not going to behave. You're not going to misbehave when mom is is in the room watching you, but that's not really because, uh, you know, you're virtuous or you want to do the right thing or, you know, it's just because mom's watching and you don't want to get punished or, you know, maybe you don't want to disappoint her or something, but, you know, um, uh, so in that way, uh, some people argue we need, (laughs) Hey, bud. <laughs> um, he held we, out
0: on that paper, didn't
1: he? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we need, uh, we need some, some epistemic distance from God, um, to, uh, uh give us, you know, room for free choice. And right. sort of thing. Um, the, the responsibility argument that I and Swinburne and, uh, Dumsday defend, um, is a little different. Um, so it's also appealing to freedom and responsibility, um, but uh, not so much um, uh, because the worry is that our, our freedom to decide you know, whether to commit some ordinary bad act would be undermined, um, but rather because the thought is divine hiddenness itself gives us uh, a certain important sort of uh, responsibility for one another, the ability to freely choose whether or not we are going to um, help one another find spiritual truth, um, grow and mature uh, as uh, Christians, um, uh, investigate uh, these questions together, um, uh, develop a better sense of the presence of God, um, you know, uh, how, how can we affect one another's ability to experience God and community through worship, um, all these sorts of things. Um, um, and uh, the, the the thought is um, God's giving us this sort of responsibility for one another, making us responsible for one another's ability to learn about God, to develop a relationship with God, etc. cetera. Um, this is a good thing insofar as it, uh, you know, gives us this important sort of responsibility, makes us reliant on one another, allows us to build deeper relationships with each other, ones in which we have, you know, helped each other in this uh, vitally important way. Um, at the same time, it might be that sometimes we, we fall down on the job, right? Um, and that could be just by not living up to sort of our positive obligations. That could also be by uh, being a stumbling block, so to speak. Right. Um, if you think about say all of the people whose faith was harmed by the sex scandals in, uh, in the Catholic church, um, yeah. you know, uh, that was a situation where people, because they were abusing their position, uh, because they were, uh, you know, acting badly, um, they provided an impediment to other people, um, being able to relate to God. Right. Um, and so, uh, the thought is, um, yeah, God has given us this responsibility. Um, this kind of predicts that hiddenness will exist um, when we make mistakes, which we often do. Um, it seems plausible that there's something valuable about this sort of responsibility. So, you know, it's not wild to, to posit that, that God might give it to us. Um, it seems sort of in line with Christian teaching with the thought that, well, you know, the, the church is meant to be this spiritual community that teaches people about God and, uh, relates to God. You know, we are supposed to relate to God together as, as a community. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the story.
0: That's, um, I, I really like, I mean, uh, I like the, that, I don't want to say angle, but, um, that idea, because it creates a participation, uh, in the divine hiddenness, it's not a uh, we sit back and point fingers at God and say, why can't I you know, know you? Why? Why are you not here? Why can't I see you? Things like that. Uh, <clears throat> and I like it also because uh, personal responsibility, you know, like you, you were talking about, you know, to um, to help one another, To Because I'm yeah. a big I'm a big relationship kind of guy. I don't like traditional evangelism. Um, I don't like knocking on people's doors. I don't like going and beating people over the head with a Bible. You know, I like to kind of build a relationship with them. And, you know, eventually the topic comes up. You know, it's just one of those topics that uh, it's almost unavoidable, you know, and in relationships and things like that. So um, and that's typically, you know, I don't want to be. Uh, a stumbling block stumbling block in the way of not fulfilling my duty um but at the same time i in my opinion it is uh much more important to uh establish a relationship to actually show the love of christ to uh treat people like christ did you know um but with the personal responsibility that's uh but that sounds like it would, you know, kind of line up directly with it, and um, you know, kind of building those relationships. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, what was Schellenberg's um, objection to? Uh, I saw that you had responded to it mm-hmm. in the paper. Um, I didn't get to read his full view uh, mm-hmm. on it. So,
1: yeah. So it'll be. Let me see if I can remember it. So I, I, wrote this paper now about eight or nine years ago.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So,
0: Sorry to put you on the spot like that.
1: <laughs> I, I, I have to think back to what, what all I said and what, what I was reading.
0: Uh, um, so I, I, I
1: guess, I mean, Schellenberg is responding to Swinburne and dumb days versions wow. of this. And, um, Swinburne and Dumsday, with a few exceptions, but they mostly sort of focus on, uh, I mean, you ask, well, okay, so we have this responsibility for one another. How, how are we supposed to exercise this responsibility, right? Um, if God hasn't given us some, some way to fulfill the responsibility, then the account doesn't work, right? God can't uh, put us in charge of, like, the, the cycles of the moon or something because we can't affect that, right? So how, how am I supposed to take responsibility for other people? and um uh, dumsday and swinburne both think of this primarily in terms of like developing and spreading natural theological arguments right so like the main way we we do this is through i guess philosophy and apologetics um and of course as as philosophers you know we're we're naturally drawn to the thought that like yeah like you know doing doing philosophy is sort of the the main the main way that we we exercise this responsibility right um and Schellenberg's thought, I guess, is, um, well, look, but like lots of people, you know, hear these arguments you guys have and they're not convinced. Um, so like, clearly, you know, God hasn't actually given us uh, the, the means to, to fulfill this responsibility that you say, right? Like, sometimes you guys do your thing and it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't work because like, you, you know, some people aren't convinced whether or not they should be convinced by your arguments. They're not, and it's not their fault. You know, it just doesn't seem plausible to them, or whatever. Uh, or there's some other argument they're worried about. You know, whatever it is. Um, and uh, I, I suggest that um, we can sort of get around. I mean, this is one of a couple uh, objections he has, but this is sort of the main one. And sort of the main way in which I guess my approach tries to sort of elaborate on or expand upon um, what Swinburne and Dumsday have done. Um, I say. Well, look, maybe we need to take kind of a a more comprehensive view of uh, what uh, what the mechanisms by which we can take responsibility for one another are. Right. Um, Most people, I think, don't keep or lose their faith on the basis of, you know, detailed study of philosophical arguments or whatever. Um, it's more a matter of their own experiences, their sense of a community, their sense of experiencing God in this community or not, their sense that these people, you know, seem to to be, uh, you know, I feel like I can see God through these people in this community or, uh, you know, these people are a bunch of uh, liars and hypocrites and they're just using this as an excuse to control people, you know. Um, and that's not that not only is that true kind of on the community level, but also on like a societal level. You know, people have uh, worries about you know historical atrocities that the church has committed, or they feel like you know Christians don't do enough to address problem X, Y, and Z, and blah blah blah. Um, you know, they see some megachurch pastor who does something bad, and they think uh, you know these people are all. And um, so, I think that there are a lot of things that kind of affect uh, how plausible these things, uh, these claims, strike people, beyond just detailed study of philosophical arguments and stuff. Um, and if we think about all of those things, um, it becomes much less clear. I think that we we don't have the kind of uh, the, the necessary mechanisms, right? Um, so. Yeah. I mean, I think that natural theology is important. I think that philosophical arguments are important. I'm a philosopher. So of course I think, um, yeah. So I think, you know, doing that, but also, uh, yeah, building relationships with people in which they can see Christ through you, see God through you. Um, again, encouraging people in spiritual disciplines, um, trying to make it seem to people that, uh, uh, you know theism is a, a a good thing an attractive thing um that christianity is a good thing an attractive thing um those are things that kind of shape people's intuitions you know shape um uh you know whether people feel like they have some kind of experiential sense of god's presence or not whether uh you know what which things strike them as intuitively correct or intuitively incorrect mm-hmm. um and so if you imagine a world where uh you know christians are consistently very well behaved where our communities are very strong where we encourage one another in prayer and worship where we take care of the needy among us um you know if we if we were all living maybe more like the the uh community in acts or something um well yeah maybe i don't know maybe that would affect uh, a lot of people who you know, are left cold by natural theological arguments or whatever, um, as things stand. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've never quite lived in a world like that, and I guess we probably never will. So we don't know exactly what, what things would be right. like. But it seems pretty plausible to think that, yeah, a lot of people would find it a lot easier to believe in that sort of situation and would find it a lot easier to, to have a sense of God's presence. And so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the, the idea, once we take a broader conception of what it is that we're supposed to be doing, um, the idea that, uh, that we can affect one another in these ways doesn't, doesn't seem outlandish, you know, in the way that Schellenberg thinks.
0: Right. That's, and <clears throat> that's the thing is, you know, uh, one of the thing one of the things that gets levied the most is, you know, is, well, what about Christians that do this, Christians that do that, you know, and I'm constantly reminded, you know, first of all, I'm not going to blow it off. I'm going to address it and say, well, that was, that's wrong. Christian or not, they're wrong for what they did. But second of all, you know, we're not perfect. We can't, we're not going to do, uh, we're, we're to strive to be better or to strive to be better towards people and things of that nature. Uh, that's not our main focus though. And being fallen also is we're we're just we're not going to be perfect. We just can't do it, you know. And I think there's a lot of confirmation bias that plays into, you know, which we all suffer from confirmation bias. You know, if it seems like one Christian, two Christian, well, then it's 50 Christians, you know. Then next thing you know, it's all Christians. And and I actually have a friend of mine who says said something that was really simple, but uh, kind of really opened my eyes. And uh, he said, well, if Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, shouldn't they be in church? Isn't that where they should be? You know, and I'm just like, yeah, I guess guess so. I mean, they're actually addressing, you know, if they're addressing the issue, then. um, uh," But there was a there's a bigger point that I'd like to to talk about a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the sense of community. Mm -hmm. And that's right along the lines of this, uh, the a book I've been reading, um, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes. And it talks about Western individualism and Mm. how most cultures around the world and historically have been um, collectivist. You know, they've been community oriented each other. And, you know, a lot of the Western world, in my experience, and at least from what I've read and everything, seems to be where the most non-believers are. Um, And we have these different virtues that other uh, cultures don't think are virtues in some places. It's, you know, uh, they're actually vices and, you know, being alone and things of that nature. You know, they're to to a lot of other cultures like he was talking about in the book was, you know, the guy asked him when he was in Indonesia, the guy asked him, why, why, why would you want to be alone? You know, he's like, cause to them, that's just, it's loneliness, you know? So I think when we, we've lost sight of the kind of collectivist uh, idea that a lot of cultures have. So we have lost that sense of community. Um, I mean, although there, there are still a lot of people that do community things uh, where they live, uh, the, uh, the structure of society is so individualistic yeah. that we don't have that support. We don't have, um, you know, the like uh, when the uh, was it the Roman centurion when he was saved? It was not just him, it was his family. He didn't do it, he had to talk to his family about it because it was such a big issue and a community issue that that's the way that they handled those things. And not only in an individualistic way do we approach scripture in our homes without community you know, with this 21st century idea of what we think it means. Traditionally, it's something that's been done together as a community. And so, you know, it's no wonder we have so many different denominations, so many different beliefs. Uh, But I think that's an extremely important point is, you know, the loss of community that we seem to have in the Western world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that that leads to lots of other problems, too, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of Western problems. (laughs) Uh, So just speaking on that part of it, what is it? um, How is Germany? What is their approach to theism or Christianity or community? Is it welcoming or...
1: Uh, yeah, yeah so that's a good question i mean i you know i i found uh, uh an i'm an episcopalian um i found uh an episcopal church quite close to my house here um which is uh, mo- mostly uh expatriates um, you know americans but also uh, british people people from africa um and uh yeah it's 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 a nice community um Germany, I think, is probably less religious than the U.S., but still more religious than uh, a lot of a lot of uh, other European countries, or at least some other European countries. Um, uh, yeah, it. Um, I I presented I I, I presented a. Uh, a philosophy of religion paper to the the, the, like ethics reading group here. It was sort of a combined ethics and philosophy of religion uh, paper and, People, people had no idea what I was doing. They couldn't figure out why this, why I had written this, this weird paper. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they couldn't. Um, you know, one of the people asked, like, "Does anybody believe this stuff?" And I was like, "Well, you know, like half the people in the world, at least." Like, <laughs> yeah. <when you're>, um, <laughs> uh, one, one person didn't, um, didn't, didn't understand that. I mean he's, he started presenting me with this objection and it, it it ultimately became clear his objection was premised on the fact that he didn't understand that people who believe in heaven believe that like you go to heaven uh oh. he, he was thinking that well there's sort of, it's, it's as if there's like a clone or a replacement but like of course that couldn't really be you you're you're dead and you, you decompose oh so wow sort of, uh, you know Um, and it it, 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 it took me a while to figure out, you know, what, uh, what, what the basis for this question was, but so, I mean, I, you know, it's a little bit of a biased sample. I mean, there are philosophers of religion in Germany, so, um, but it, it may be that kind of the, the German, again, is very anecdotal, but my anecdotal evidence is that the German philosophy scene may be, um. Even less religious than the the American philosophy scene, or the kind of American huh. philosophy scene, um, which is which is already pretty pretty secular. Um, yeah, outside of philosophy of religion, where most people are theists.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's uh, funny when I hear people, certain people, I'm not going to say any names, but use uh, consensus in philosophy when they're talking about philosophy of religion, and I'm like. Okay, I mean it's mostly <laughs> secular. Of course, there's going to be a consensus, you know. So, not in philosophy of religion, there's not a consensus, but yeah. philosophy overall, you know. Uh, so, I think it's funny, and I think that story highlights an important thing, and that is, you know, the cliche lost in translation. People don't realize the concepts that are different from culture to culture, language to language. So you. You, you, you know, the difficulty in translating is trying to translate the concept of it, you know? And I think that's how we've ended up in the West with this, um, you know, this, this extreme literalism uh, that yeah. a lot of conservative uh, Protestants have, you know, adhered to is these, you know, it's not cultures and languages that we can translate word for word you know, we have, there wasn't a dictation method, you know, that created this inerrancy. We can't look at it, uh, a culture that was, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago. Uh, you know, like when people are, or, um, hammering against slavery in the old Testament and, you know, all these different things. And I'm like, we're, we're just, we're missing so much context. You know, we, we can explain it. Uh, you know, we, you can't, use a type of anachronistic fallacy where you're using this 21st century understanding of the way that the world was, you know, at that time. And we have to understand that, uh, we have to approach it from their eyes. That's how we get the understanding, you know? So yeah, that's, uh, um, I think it's a huge part of what's led to so much, um, secular, secularism here, uh, at least in the U S, you know, I really can't speak for European countries, but they're Western in nature too. So it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, think it, it sort of helps, you know, some of my experiences with my philosophy colleagues help to, uh, illustrate, I think that, you know, part more so than the U S parts of Europe have sort of become non-religious enough that people can kind of be non-religious without really even having much of a concept of what they're rejecting. Um, You know, they just haven't, it wouldn't occur to them that people would take this seriously and they don't really know what religious people believe. And, you know, it's not that they uh, weighed the arguments and found it wanting so much as it's just, it's never really come up for them in the way that, you know, believing in the flat earth or whatever, it might just never really come up for, you know, me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, um, that that presents sort of a, you know, it's a very different context. Um, and
0: uh, It's kind of like the opposite of conservative Christian Protestants here who just kind of yeah, come up yeah. in it and accept it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, so they go from this, you know, uh, weird understanding of Faith to the other extreme You know, there's not enough evidence You know, which a lot of the issues That I run into is, you know, it's really Just epistemic issues, you know It's, um, you know Your epistemology is So, in a lot of Cases um, Is at the point Where it's really not consistent You know, because you don't put The same epistemic standards on Everything else you know, that you accept as true in the world. But um, so with the divine hiddenness, how, I'm just trying to think of an easy, uh, easy way to put it. Let's say with um, other cultures who are raised in a you know, Hindu society, or Islamic society, um, things of that nature. Would they be considered um, kind of along the lines of fulfilling that community responsibility, even though their idea of God is distorted or, um, you know, not as the Judeo Christian, you know, monotheistic God? um, Would that play into uh, how we are? to fulfill our side, you know, the, the, or, you know, the opening that God had left for us to learn together. Uh, How did they play into that idea? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually part of a, a,
0: He's determined to be on there. <laughs> That's okay. All pets are welcome. He really, he really, uh, he really
1: wants attention. He's, he's jealous that I'm talking to you. Uh, of, uh, yeah, he's
0: jealous now. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I, well, I mean, so I, I'm actually part of a, a project on. Uh, animals and the philosophy of the Islamic world here, so the, the broader research project is an Islamic philosophy project. Um, my, the work that I'm doing is not an Islamic philosophy, um, but the research that some of my colleagues is doing are, are doing is. Um, so as a result, I've, I've gotten some exposure uh, to Islamic philosophy more than I used to. Um, And I mean, yeah, there are definitely things that I think we can learn from, you know, people who were within that tradition, sort of smart people doing their best to try to figure stuff out. Um, uh, I think that, um, uh, yeah, so there's to some extent we can cooperate even or learn from people who we uh, disagree with, you know, even if we think, well, they're importantly wrong about some other stuff. I guess I also think, um, you know, it, it may be that, uh, and this kind of connects to uh, another issue that Schellenberg talks about, which is this issue of spatially and temporally uh, isolated non-theists. Um, so another thing he says is, well, look, you know, there, there were people in isolated tribes or you know, people in ancient Greece who didn't have any concept of monotheism or, you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, we couldn't have taken responsibility for those cause that maybe there weren't any monotheists yet a very long time ago, or, uh, you know, these people were off in some far flung part of the world. We didn't have any concept with them. We didn't have any contact with them. Um, uh, and, uh, what, what I say in the paper there is um, it may be that there are uh, um, kind of historical explanations for why people wound up isolated to begin with um, in terms of either, you know, the fall or, you know, events in prehistory or maybe, you know, events um, uh closer closer to our time but not necessarily involving like the people in some particular community having made any mistake or whatever right um, it might be that those people are uh doing their best and it's just that um you know sort of uh various circumstances have left some people in kind of an epistemically better situation uh, than others yeah. um so yeah i mean you don't have to say that um uh it's uh you know it's we 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 have a more accurate picture because like we're more virtuous or something. Right. You know, we we sort of found ourselves in more fortunate circumstances. Um now in terms of um well how how would you kind of practically relate to people in different religious communities or whatever. Um well, we have disagreements and we, you know, we want to convince them that we're on the right side. Um, I guess that's sort of a practical question that I don't have much experience with uh, personally so much. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm reluctant to kind of expound on the best way to do that practically yeah. um, because, you know, I, 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 other people know more about it than me. Um, right. How do you handle like interfaith dialogue? Um, but uh yeah, I mean, as as a you know, where there are like philosophical issues or historical issues or whatever, you can have factual conversations about those. And otherwise, yeah, I guess you want to do the sort of stuff that that I was talking about. You know, form right. relationships, try to try to be a good a good model, a good example, let others see God through you, through your good behavior, through your righteous living, whatever. Um, um,
0: yeah, that's. I'm I'm a hopeful universalist. Um, I've tried and tried to get on the universalist camp. <laughs> Philosophically, I want, uh, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, I feel, you know, I would m- much rather, obviously that universalism be true. I just, you know, biblically, I just haven't been totally convinced, you know, looking at the history and things like that, but I take to heart, you know, um, God being a righteous judge and, you I don't concern myself with if I don't say this, I don't say that, this, that, or the other, that somehow somebody's going to be condemned if there is a hell or con- you know condemnation or something of that nature. I approach it as uh, I'm going to love them um, and I'm going to treat them with dignity um, regardless of where they're from, what they believe, don't believe you know, this side or the other. And the rest is up to God. That's his job. That's, you know, that's what he's supposed to do. Uh, you know, I have no position whatsoever to say, you know, whether a Hindu or Muslim or anybody who's grown up in an environment is going here, or there, you know, whatever. I think we have, well, we can learn things, uh, you know, through, you know, natural revelation and, you know, philosophy and theology yeah. and different things, we're extremely limited in, you know, what we do know. And yeah. Yeah. so I kind of leave it at that kind of only the, the animal ethics thing. Um, mm. That is the one that uh, I've kind of struggled with um, mm. myself with the way that, you know, a lot of animals are treated in the Western world ethically and my wife and I were actually just having this conversation the other night, you know, about uh, animals in captivity, you know, zoos, circuses, things of that nature. And I understand that in some situations it's the best thing for the animal. But, you know, bringing animals up and, um, you know, in a zoo environment and things like that and taking them out of their natural habitat, that's something I really struggle with as a Christian, you know, because um, – given our limited knowledge on you know souls consciousness and things of that nature you know with our at least our higher primates you know the level of consciousness they have it just to me on a certain level just doesn't seem humane and uh, a lot of christians kind of take more of a uh, well a lot of christians here take more of a hard stance on it you know that humans are special species and we have a soul and we're going to heaven you know and it's like there's this assumption that animals don't have souls and you know and i'm like wait a minute we we don't know much about souls at all you know um so what what is coming from an ethicist standpoint uh and animal ethics is is that kind of in the realm of you know your study or how do you yeah, know
1: that? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it is. Um, yeah, so I've, I've both done some work in, you might say, mainstream uh, animal ethics, um, and I've done some work in kind of issues concerning animals and philosophy of religion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that we, we treat animals in a lot of ways uh, that, are, that are very bad, um, particularly like in industrial agriculture, factory farming. Um, you know, billions and billions of animals who are kept in horrible, horrible conditions, often killed in painful ways, yeah. um, you know, just because we can want cheaper meat or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm very much against that. Um, I, um, yeah, I've argued, I've argued, um, I've argued in, in some of my work, well, maybe one thing that's relevant, I'm working on a paper right now, actually, about uh, ideas of, of dominion. Uh, like human dominion over the other animals, um, people sometimes uh, um, understand that to mean almost that we, God has set up, uh, us up as like absolute dictators over the animals. Right. Right? Like we can they're they're sort of all our property. We can do whatever we want to them, uh, and there's there's nothing in the text that suggests that. In fact, when God uh, gives us dominion. We're still supposed to be vegetarians at that point in the text. Later on, he gives Noah permission to eat meat because of right. the changed environment and whatever. Um, but uh, you know, at, at at that point, we're still supposed to be vegetarians. So it, clearly, the text can't mean that we're allowed to do whatever we want to them, right?
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: yeah. So um, I I try to defend the idea of dominion, thought of as more like something some some sort of stewardship idea. Um, we have yeah a certain sort of special role in god's plan we have a certain sort of authority over over the world over the other animals maybe but that's not something for us to uh you know just use exploit for our own benefit however we want um that's something that we uh need to exercise thinking about the interests of the individuals that we have authority over just like you know, a just government has authority over you, but it, that doesn't mean it can do whatever it wants. That means right. the opposite. It means that the leaders have to pay special attention to your interests because uh, yep. you, know, you're, you know they they now have a special responsibility to exercise this
0: protection problem. and flourishing. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So
1: yeah, um, and so uh, one one thing I I try to address in that paper is um, uh, questions about our obligations to wild animals too. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that um, yeah, I I, I definitely uh, we we may have similar views on this. I yeah,
0: think. Um, that's the it, you know, and that's um, I kind of like the dominion thing you were talking about, uh, and I kind of equate that with like uh, you know, don't press the analogy too hard, but animals are like children, you know, they're not as aware and as. Uh, Capable as we are, yet it doesn't mean that they're not worthy of protection, you know, love and uh, letting them be what they are, you know, because that's and, you know, that's I'm so hopeful for um, the strides that's been made in uh, laboratory grown steaks. Yeah. (laughs) We can have our steaks and uh, treat the animals well at the same time. I know it sounds weird, but I mean, you know, it's a steak, you know, it's uh, it's how we can uh, we can, you know, have our cake and eat it, too. It's uh, so. Yeah, that's and I've been uh, because I come from, you know, here in the south, you know, there's a lot of hunting and things like that. And I think a lot of people really misunderstand hunters. You know, most of the hunters I know are very, very compassionate people. You know, I've watched people, uh, you know, grown men um, who don't trophy hunt, but, you know, actually prey over, you know, the meat that they have. And they use every, you know, every bit of the animal uh, for their needs. And, you know, they put a lot of money into conservation. And you know, protecting. So, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not gonna, you know, say I'm a hunter's advocate because you know, mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is most hunters are trophy hunters. Um, my issues with you know hunting itself uh, is that very issue. We don't have to hunt for our food, um, mm-hmm. and you know, trophy hunting to me is, you know, given the way that I feel about animals. Uh, you know, so one of the best friends I ever had was a dog, you know, he was, and for me to say that there's not to see, you know, the different emotions that, you know, that my dog felt, the uh, uh, you know, the way that he related, he could, when I was hurting, it seemed like he was hurting, you know, things like that. It's yeah. just, I don't understand how people can take this dominion stance you're talking about. Yeah. It seems to be mostly, you know, and in my experience in the Western world, you know, it's we, the way we treat animals, it's like, well, they're just part of the creation and we're supposed to, you know, they're for our use and things like that. And, uh, you know, the more I look into, you know, different theodicies and things of that nature, it's, you know, uh, theories on the soul and stuff like that. It's like, we don't have anything definitive there, you know? So to take such a hard stance is, uh, (laughs) not cool oh my uh, my idea um i know it's getting kind of late over there for you uh i didn't know if there's anything else maybe you'd want to talk about or you ready to
1: oh um well
0: i guess it's up to you Um, yeah (laughs) well i just didn't want to keep you you know i i really appreciate you you know staying up to kind of you know, do this and, and talk about these things and, uh, you know, given your expertise and, you know, things mm-hmm. of that nature, yeah, it's, sure, uh, sure, sure. you know, maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to sit in the same room with you. I don't know, <laughs> 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 no. but, uh, I won't keep you too long. We'll definitely, uh, we can do, you know, we can do another show maybe on the ethics or, or something of that nature. Mm. Um, uh, Again, I really appreciate you coming um sure. thank you and uh be safe in germany Munich yeah. it's uh Thanks. yeah, so uh I'm gonna break my stuff over here if I keep moving around, but uh have a good one bud yeah, yeah, you too you too. All right.